Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back to another episode of Rail Talk with me, Michelle Craven Faulkner from Shoe Smiths. Um, I'm sure I don't need to introduce myself any further in the hope that you've listened to some of these before, but I will introduce today's guest, and I'm delighted to say that I've got Paul Harwood with me, who is the Programme Director for Passenger and Freight Services at Great British Railways Transition Team. Hi, Paul. Hi, Michelle. Lovely to have you here. So I think before we start, tell us a little bit about yourself, because you're not new to rail, are you? No, if only I could say that. You know, um, 33 years on the railway, I joined British Rail as a finance trainee, so mm-hmm. I've got a finance core, um, which I still think is of value in whichever part of the industry yep. you get into. Uh, and then a semi-conventional finance element until I got into strategic planning world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I so worked with the Network Rail um, until two years ago, just over two years ago now, and then got on secondment into GBRTT. So you are now the Programme Director for Passenger and Freight Services, a bit of a mouthful. Um, so <laughs> so what does that mean in terms of Great British Railways? What, what, what is kind of your core role at the moment? So it's, it is made up of three different component parts. It's worth talking mm-hmm. through, but th- there's a common theme to them. Um, the, the part that I was doing before the, the full three areas was industry commercial yep. sport, um, which is focused on two two components really um but it's under the umbrella of almost anything that the industry buys from the private sector yeah in essence um which goes back to a statistic that we sort of discovered or probably hadn't thought through well enough um it's over 80 percent of the expenditure in the industry is spent on private sector delivery activity which i think might surprise some people given mm. that uh, the, the network rail components of it yeah absolutely um, so it's, it's that, but then split into uh, operating contracts. So mm-hmm. the train operator company, so it was working with the department on the future of operating contracts and, and competition. Yeah. Service contracts, as was the title. It probably will be, but it's a little way away. <laughs> um, and then the other half was the supply chain activity. Yeah. So what we what I call commercial partnerships, mm-hmm. um, with the term used on purpose around trying to be more commercial yeah. astute as an industry and working partnership with, with supply chain. Yeah. Then we've got the customer element to it, so um, which is uh, the, the effectively the passenger side mm-hmm. of it. So uh, we're always trying to use the term customer now to change the ethos as a cultural yeah. element to that. Um, that is very much about uh, trying to understand and get a collective view for GBR, so thinking ahead to a, a guiding mind, uh, an industry-wide view, uh, although bearing in mind things need to be local as well as national, which we'll probably explore in yeah. Um, but of what passengers want out of the industry, out of out of the the, the train service, um, uh, which covers a variety of things: national rail accessibility type activity, critical, yeah. uh, so making the railway accessible to as many people as possible, um, and then the sort of different product types and and and, and different passenger mm-hmm. needs effectively, and then how we use that to influence. So there's the link yeah. to the contracting activity, and then the third part is the freight, mm-hmm. so our other customer. Uh, and trying to get the industry working more effectively to support what is, I think, pretty much everybody's uh, belief is we should strongly support rail freight, more more freight off-roads on rail. Uh, I've not yet found anybody. It's a complicated commercial situation inevitably, Um, and that being the strongest private sector part of the industry as well at the moment, which is really good, Um, but it makes it quite difficult and quite sensitive from a commercial point of view. But to achieve the end result, which everybody wants, is more freight moved by rail. It is. And and I think every time I've mentioned the stat, which is somewhere between, it's between like 73 and 100 lorries that each freight train yes. takes off the roads. The amount of people that I speak to that are really shocked by that, really shocked. And when I did one of these, um, these podcasts with Chris Swan from Tarmac, he said... 
Yeah, but you also need to look at it the other way. So if you've got a freight train that's not available for whatever reason, you're putting that amount of lorries back on the roads. So um, it's, and obviously I know we'll we'll come on to this a little bit later, but obviously one of the focuses that GBRTT is looking at is that whole rail freight growth picture. Um, And I think perhaps for, for far too long, it's kind of been in the shadows. Of, of kind of passenger railway, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a number of factors create that. Um, I worry sometimes that the freight industry, in, on rail freight industry, thinks of itself mostly. So it, it, it almost works better as, a, as, a, as an outfit, as mm-hmm. a unit, but then doesn't interact with the rest of the industry very well. So I'm trying to break down yeah. some of those barriers. It's yeah. back to the fact we're working with one network mm-hmm. and, and we have to get the best we can for both passenger and freight. Um, and it's the commercial sensitivity side of it. So there's competition, a lot of things which make it a much, uh, in a sense, a healthier and easier conversation. Um, but then it gets complicated yeah, as well. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Out there. So I, I yeah, desperately keen that we can, well, and, and the factor about engineering access, um, we've talked about before, I'm sure you would have done with other people as well, has a massive impact on mm-hmm. the commercial calculations. And that's a conversation I've had with Chris Swan in the past, exactly that point about it's the reliability that the network can offer makes a massive difference to the commercial decision to use it. Yeah. Because if they have to have a backup plan, which is they're moving on to road, and we know one of the issues with rail freight is it moves very easily back to road. Mm. Yes, unfortunately. So now we are in danger of going off down a track, uh-huh, like what I did there. Um, but I think what it's perhaps worth us doing is, you know, we're working on the assumption that everybody knows about GBRTT and why it was set up and, and this, that and the other. But is, is it perhaps worth just without going too much over kind of the, the whole, you know, uh, the, the past history about this, but why why is GBR, which it ultimately will be, why is it so important to the sector? It, it, so it goes back to the, the white paper uh, published a number of years ago now, and, and I believe was absolutely clear and consistent, uh, and again, the vast majority of people completely agree with this, is the sector is currently working with too many silo, too many mm. component parts. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I've been there quite a long time um, and trying to get the right end result. And this isn't usually critical of the people at all. There's some wonderful, passionate people in the industry I love working with, mm. but they often can't make an integrated decision yeah. because of the nature industry as it currently stands, which doesn't mean to say um, breaking the component parts in one sense because we have a, a system which has a private sector passenger operator. That's fine. But creating the environment where they can make decisions and, and get the value, the integrated value, integrated profit and loss account effectively, mm. it's that value calculation that we're often uh, unable to make. Mm-hmm. And it extends right the way through from those operational conversations yeah. through to extend day-to-day performance and then into some of the supply chain investment decisions. Yeah. All of those things are hindered in some way, shape or form by the structure of the industry we've got at the moment. And again, long-term railway person, I'm a believer that it works better when it works together and uh, trying to create the environment. It's probably the same, the same as any yeah. industry in one sense. Absolutely. Um, it's that fluidity. It's so it? interdependent. Mm-hmm. Um, day-to-day performance, you cannot strip out the infrastructure manager's performance from the train operating company's mm-hmm. performance because it is the same train with the same passengers or freight customers that we're moving around. So getting that right, getting that yeah. integrated structure right, that isn't then some sort of global decision-making organisation, but it's getting that that, that guiding mind yeah. um, to, to set the framework right, to, to, mm. to support and drive the strategy, and then enable those integrated whole system decisions to be taken. And it's interesting that you say that, and you know, I'm probably going to get shot for saying this 
from wearing my day job hat more so than from the rail sector point of view because because actually it's absolutely right when you say that the track can't run without the train and the train can't run without the track you know and and all too often we spend far too much time looking at all of our contracts to say well actually you know you contributed to this so therefore you owe this and da 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 rather than actually concentrating on the end result which is getting a railway that's running and you know moving passengers from A to B, but also allowing freight to to get in and having that fluidity of the way that it all works together um, has has definitely been missing um, f- for a while. And, you know, I joined the sector just after privatisation, um, which, you know, everybody felt that they'd got a freedom at that point. There was a definite sense of that, that there was a freedom, but it, it does, it feels like it's about time to kind of like go, right, let's try and align ourselves Again, I, I mean, I, picking up one of your points there, I, I, I we at the GBRTT are firm believer you can get you can get the blend right though. You, mm-hmm. you still need that contractual environment. I, I mean, I'm very pleased to hear brings in the innovation, the drive, the efficiency, um, in an environment which has got some public sector components as well. I don't believe there's any reason why you can't work that well. And the, the problem, in a sense, is that it's 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 too broken up yeah. to make those component parts work yeah. together. Um, it's the risk transfer piece, isn't it? We seem to have become so focused on that contractual risk and contractual liability, and 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 one of the things, as I say, one of the one of the, the actual good things, if I could say this, that came out of COVID was that we saw an awful lot more collaborative working going on, not just not just in rail, probably in in a number of sectors, but it was definitely happening with with rail. You know, there was the PPN notices that were coming out talking about the relaxation of some of the performance regimes, which actually meant that people got together and worked out how they could solve an issue rather than just going, right, you owe us liquidated damages. For me, some of that goes back to the fact the industry is very good at reacting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Using it, um, seeing people in, in operational incidents, any, any kind of reaction situation. And that brings out the best. Mm. To an extent, trying to create is that, but in a planned, forward-looking way um, yep. and, and capture that and make give people the environment to make those joined up decisions proactively rather than almost fall back to them when there is a crisis or some yeah. event they have to react to. So all of this is fantastic. There is a slight elephant in the room, which I am going to address, which is that as, as of the time of recording this, we've had the King's speech. Um, the legislation it's been confirmed that the legislation isn't going to come in in the next sitting of Parliament, but when it does come in, it will go through a pre-legislative scrutiny, if I can get the words out. Um, we have got a general election coming up. We aren't going to stray down that route, uh, never fear. But what I think that we are in a position, if I can say from from the outside looking in, is it does look as though we have got a certain amount of cross-party support when it comes to the concept of Great British Railways. Each party's going to have different manifesto policies and they're going to have different views on what should happen in the longer term. Um, but it seems to be that generally when when we look at colleagues in, you know, in Westminster, the general view is something needs to be done. And at the moment, the best show in town is this concept of Great British Railways. So it, it kind of, I just felt like I needed to kind of lay that groundwork a little bit <laughs> that whilst at the moment... You are Great British Railways transition team, and we don't know at what point you will become Great British Railways. The the current hope and intention is is that is what will happen, regardless of what happens with a general election. I, th- I think it goes back to that point that the problem is the challenge in the industry is the same one 
on whichever lens you look at it yeah. and the opportunities are pretty much the same one so how you deploy it exactly what you what you achieve with it can can be some variation in view um but but the but the core opportunity there mm-hmm. it's back to the, the the point you made the it is time that we got the industry working as a collective yeah. um and the pre-legislative scrutiny um it is a complicated industry mm-hmm trying to get any change is complicated as, as you certainly will know um so there is the element of, of huge benefit that making sure that is lined up and yeah. then using the consequence of that yeah. actually has got a lot of logic to it because Absolutely. i haven't been involved in so many variety of consultations strategic consultations uh process change elements to it the more you can do beforehand to get everybody clear and consistent on their opinion mm-hmm. on something the quicker it then subsequently comes <laughs> You know, and it's exactly the same when I'm doing a contract of, of whatever description. Get everything done as heads of terms, agree all the principles. Needless to say, you'll get to the point of signing the contract far quicker. It's you know, it makes perfect sense. But what I think we need to make sure that we we get across though is that just because you haven't got the legislation in place doesn't mean that you guys are all sitting at Waterloo twiddling your thumbs and waiting for that day to come. I mean, you know, you're very active, Paul, and your colleagues. You are you are out there a lot and you are speaking to people. And kind of the key work streams, I just um, I copied them down from the website just to make sure that I didn't miss any of them. But the key work streams you're looking at at the moment are fares, ticketing and retail, strategic planning, strategic freight, passenger revenue, the customer, industry commercial, business planning and financial management, digital and data services and policy and transformation. Is that it? Is that, is that you know, could that, you not think you could add anything else to the list? Keeps us out of mischief, as you know. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so which of those are you really able to make some headways in at the moment without the legislation? It's it's worth going back. I, mean, I know we've, we've quoted it quite a lot over the last couple of years. There is quite a lot you can do mm-hmm. without legislation. There is no doubt yeah. that's the fact. The legislation is predominantly targeted at not only the establishment of the GBR, but also the franchise authority accountability, which then puts that whole system together. Um, but a lot of those things don't rely on that in any way, shape or form. I think it's true to say that, that the path to GBR helps give some of the leverage to some of the change. Yes. And it gives a focal point to it. So it, it's it's undeniable that things are a little harder sometimes to get traction. But going back to the point that most people agree that we've got the problems that we know we've got or the challenges or the opportunities, thinking more positively, yeah. um, it's unlocking those in, in mm-hmm. a sense. Um, it varies quite considerably. So you've mentioned the first ticketing in retail. That is a funded program of work. Again, very good support. It goes back to um, challenges that, that passengers have around or tickets, the ticketing structure, mm-hmm. accessing tickets, right, best fares and all, all those elements and, and how you sell and how you make it easy to buy. Um, that's active and funded program. And again, yes. good support. Um, some of the more complicated elements um, are, are, are probably around, well, some of the areas I've been working on, particularly on some of the supply chain activity. It, it's a little harder because we're still working with disparate financial situations. So that, that would be, again, yeah. addressed by setting up GBR. Um, it doesn't mean to say you can't make progress by pointing out some of the value overlap between them. So something uh, rolling stock, you'll, you'll be familiar with the, the sort of the broad subject, is something I'm quite passionate about trying to, to join up better mm-hmm. in the industry. So yeah. much opportunity there from a, a technology, from a fixed against rolling infrastructure point, mm-hmm. getting some of those things better coordinated. Again, it's not saying people don't make good decisions in their own component parts, but there is there is extra value there if you draw that, yeah. that together. Um making progress on that a little bit harder, but you can find that value and point it out to people. So it, it, most of those areas have got things that we can make, make 
progress with. Um, actually, the regional partnerships is one thing not mentioned in there. So the likes of working with Transport for Greater Manchester. Of course, yeah. Very strong transport strategy, integrated public transport strategy in their own right. Um, so some of the things, some of the customer work we're doing, they are hungry for some of the insights into that wider customer understanding that we're trying to generate. So it's it's adding. Mm-hmm. To, they, they will already work very closely with the train operating companies. Yeah. Um, so there's things, it's finding elements all over the place mm-hmm. there again and uh, trying to unlock them, which is not, it's a little bit harder than it would be if we were on, on the clear journey with, with GBR being set up fairly soon. Yeah. But but most of these things, again, yeah. you point out the value and then people can take the opportunity. And I think from my point of view and from the people that I'm speaking to, you're absolutely right. Everybody universally is saying, yes, we, we want GBR. And, you know, I mean, there's there's no pressure on you guys, of course, but you are seen as being the saviour of the railways. I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there. You know, you are the guys that are going to come in and solve everybody's problems. <laughs> but, but it's interesting what you just say about Transform for Manchester. How important do you think that the role of the devolved regions is going to be because that's that seems definitely the way that everything's moving and you just have to look at the way that that certain pockets of cash have been allocated for transport in recent years you know those that have got the locally elected mayor and the devolved you know operating systems seem to be you know at the forefront of so do you think that that that's a way that gbr will see things moving forward very i think i think they're really important they're, they're sometimes we distract ourselves with conversations around the network rail regions or the train operating companies mm. but when you think about an organisation that is representative of trying to use rail because that's mm. what they want to do. They're supporters, strong supporters, but integrating with a public transport system and make it easier for people to travel around. Yeah, um, th- that's that's a natural focal yeah. point, and and it also represents for me a good a good point to get the balance right between criticalities of local, uh, getting it right because it then has to work with other transport modes. Mm-hmm. Again, that's the conversation I had with TFGM. Um, but the reminding people, which is back to the, the national component and the guiding mind component, is it is an integrated network. Yeah. So when you're talking about things like freight and passenger yeah. using the same network, trying to get that balance right, most of it is just around making sure that people understand the consequences and make it clear mm. and then make an informed decision. Mm. Th- those groups, those organisations, because of their, uh, they're very keen, on, well, they're, they're driven by the output that we're trying yeah. to achieve. That's a good focal point for that national uh, and local components. And it's really interesting, isn't it, that, that whole intermodal discussion? Because we talk about it a lot when we talk about freight, but we don't necessarily talk about it as much when it's people. And, you know, I suppose that there is a little bit of a, yes, but we're the rail industry. You know, we, we kind of separate ourselves off. But but as you say, you know, if you've got a transport hub, people want to know that they can get on a bus, you know, especially if it's not in the centre of town, They you know, or whether it's a tram or wh- whatever it is, there needs to be that interconnectivity, which is going to work for everybody especially if we're ultimately going to look at reducing car traffic and van traffic and whatever else traffic in our cities and towns. That's that's going to be the way to do it, isn't it? Uh, using the example of stations, I, I think the industry has been, or I believe the industry has been driven down a slightly introverted route about stations, thinking of it as just a railway station, whereas they need to be a point of entry and exit from the system and it needs to be easy, an easy decision mm-hmm. for people to make. So you start thinking that way, and that that then extends into some of the the ticketing arrangements too, mm-hmm. as well. Same thing. You make an easy decision to use yeah. transport. Yeah. It's got to be right. So the work we're trying to do on getting the stations environment almost more outwardly focused, because they're a mm-hmm. key part of the community within mm-hmm. which they sit, and indeed could be used as a in some cases a community asset. Yeah, because in uh, certain situations where it might not be commercially strong, mm-hmm. some some investment in a station, 
But actually, it's, it's some of these things are back to the fact having people in the station, the environment becomes more safe. It's, it's a nicer yeah. environment, users of buildings. Yeah. Find ways of doing it if you work with a charity or a local organization of some sort. But it's making that part of that integrated network. And, and it's interesting because I think one of the things that, that I see a lot of, and you know, we see this not only within our sector us, uh, itself, as in you'll have various different pockets of people doing kind of similar things, and which are all great, but bit of joined up thinking sometimes and and I think it's the same on the station point of view because I think it was the CMA that did a um, consultation earlier this year about retail outlets in in stations and that seemed to be very much focused on the major stations you know the big stations and the retail outlets that were available there and I think that the smaller stations have to be viewed different and as you say that kind of community the ability to maybe have pop-ups you know, for, for local initiatives to be done there is going to be so much more important than to try and do something like that at, say, Kings Cross or Waterloo or wherever. It, it is too easy to get distracted by the large value high footfall yeah. stations. Um, they've got to be right. We've got to get yeah. those right as well. But we've got like two and a half thousand stations in the UK, something like that. Only a handful of them were that big. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of sort of medium sized ones. I mean, Guildford is a station I, I go through regularly, and it's an important part of the town. Um, very high footfall, but not not seen quite that way in some sense. That's interesting. Um, opportunities, stations like that. Yeah. Fab. So that's stations. So we've sorted stations. <laughs> stations are all sorted out. Um, and we've spoken about kind of those areas that you can, you can be looking at without the, the need for legislation. What's, which area do you think has got the biggest challenges at the moment from a rail point of view? One of them, um, uh, if it almost falls into both categories. So, so the business planning and financial management. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, and I will come back to strategy in a minute as well. But mm-hmm. business planning and financial management, um, because we have to be, and, and rightly so, back to the point I made, you're working in an environment where there is sensitivity of information, there is private sector, mm-hmm. there is public sector. Mm-hmm. But trying to create an environment where you can make a, an industry decision based on a, a collective view of yeah. value is both, it, it's affected by the structure. So... Um, it inevitably becomes harder to construct an integrated value-based decision where you have mm. disparate parts. Yeah. Um, but it's also something we're trying to make progress in. It, so, so it is it is a harder one to get right. Mm. Some of this is simply getting people the ability to think about things using, and, and we're trying to make some, some good progress with simply with publicly available information so you don't have to stray into the commercially sensitive areas. Mm. Um, but but it's joining them up, so it's simply getting mm-hmm. them the mindset. I say simply, it's not simple. <laughs> uh, some of that is a, bit, is a big cultural thing, yeah. and an understanding element to it, to getting right too. But I still believe hard farts people want to make the right going up decision. It's giving them the ability to do that. And that use of data is a really interesting one. So I was at a meeting only last week, and we were talking about the sharing of, of data and the benefits. And you know, the DFT published its. Um, data sharing strategy earlier this year, I'll say, because I can't remember the date. And there's a lot being discussed about data. And we've got the mm, rail data marketplace. I always get them in the wrong order. So I'm glad that I got that the right way around. And and it's interesting because I, I, I think you're absolutely right when you say that there's that that issue about who discloses what. Because I think especially on the private sector side, it's very much that, but this is my intellectual property. I own this. I don't want to share it. And, and you know, I think sometimes challenging that view to say, but what exactly are you going to do with it? Because 
if there's a commercial benefit to you, completely understand why you don't want to share it. If it's going to give a competitor some sort of market advantage, or I completely get that. But I think all too often it is that just, no, it's mine. And, and actually having set out somewhere, but these are the benefits of sharing this data. This enables us to look at timetabling and, and, you know, freight access and whatever else it is has got to be a good thing. There's very much, I, I believe, a, a, a belief that we, we've, we've put the boundary in the wrong place, mm-hmm. effectively, um, and, and either enabled or, or quite often, again, I, I say this as a network rail person who loves working in network rail, but, but there is a tendency to be nervous about something which is outside of your control. Yes. The network rail tries to control things because of, there is a risk aversion in there and there's a value issue mm-hmm. and so on. And there's a, the risk of, or the fear, which I don't believe is, always, is, is often realized as a fear, but it's a fear that you lose control of something, and particularly on a repeat dependency, a repeat piece of technology or piece of infrastructure. Um, you're then in somebody else's hands completely. Yeah. So it leads to something which it just brings the, the, the boundaries in too tight. Mm-hmm. But to get that sweet spot, there's, there's something there which enables everybody to make a better decision. And then we need to respect the innovation or the, the, the added value, but it needs to be further away at that point. It's hard to describe what that further away point is, but it's why I can usually picture that people just hold stuff too close, which is your, which is your point about uh, the data. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think in some cases that's probably just ingrained from... British Rail days. Yes. That, you know, but, you know, British Rail would just come along and go, well, all of this is mine. And so I think people are still a little bit nervous about that. But that that sharing of information has got to be a good thing. Um, I'm going to take a slightly different... Well, actually, no, you wanted to come back to strategy, didn't you? Strategy. So th- that one's always difficult, mm. um, but always necessary. Yes. Um, and particularly for an industry of, of such long-term decisions, I mean, fi- fixed assets that are, are yeah. sort of, well, the Victorian assets we're working with and, yeah. and what you invest, you invest for um, 35 to 50 years sort of mm. easily in a sense. Um, I guess in the current environment, that, that is tricky to make, make progress there. Um, it's probably the area that everybody is, is supporting progress on. Um, and, and we have, let's say, we are making progress some of it is in a combination of that of that national against local. It's against. I use the wrong word there. It's not really against. It's. It's. But they are. They can be seen to be in conflict. Yeah. It's getting that blend right between the fact national asset and, and local consequence. Um. But but strategy area. It, it, to mm-hmm. answer the question about what is difficult to make progress on, um, with a fluid environment, without the stability of actually being in uh, a great a GBR environment, um. Again, everybody is willing in that space. Yeah. It becomes quite difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we all know that we're in a slightly uh, difficult period of our, you know, of, of the sector's life, as it were. Um, it, it does seem as if any news that we hear about the sector at the moment isn't great. I think a really nice good news story would be really quite welcome round about now. Um but there is still a railway and the railway is going to carry on and there will always be a railway and trains still need to run and need maintaining and renovating and refurbing and track the same. Um, it's about how we get that good news story out there and, and also to a certain extent how we ensure that the things that we know from kind of a, a certain overview point of view get passed down the supply chain that, so that supply chain understand that as as well um i mean the marketplace is difficult at the moment i think it would be fair to say 
but there's a really key point in what you're saying there about and sometimes we get distracted between sort of change strategy and the core railway operations itself, mm. which is a multi-billion pound yeah. industry. Um, we, we, no indication of a significant change. It has these financial challenges. We, we all know that at the moment with the, uh, the change in demand, the change in revenue uh, uh, post the pandemic, um, things that we are we are trying to address. But there is still a lot of railway there used by a lot of people day in, day out. So we, we have this, this, the control period seven position for network rail. I think some of it, it's back to that cultural point. Sometimes there's a nervousness about remembering that, yes. um, which is strange. I, I've seen people sometimes behave as if there's a, there is literally a cliff edge at the end of a control period. Um, there isn't. There yeah. isn't. We might need to take some, some decisions based on a potential variation in how much um, funding the industry has and, and, and how much usage of some of it. But that that the variable proportion is quite small, generally speaking, compared to that large amount that needs mm. that. And then that needs that technology foundation and that development and opportunity yeah. drive that, that, that is there. A lot of the passion in the industry is still very strong. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, we, we, we know that patronage has dropped off since, um, since the pandemic. But actually, I mean, you and I were talking before we started recording, you know, the railways are feeling busier. We know that, that leisure consumption has gone through the roof. That's higher than it was pre-pandemic and actually and you know most people getting a train or trying to park in a car park at a railway station on a Tuesday Wednesday Thursday you know will struggle um because it's busy which actually then leaves us as being mundane Friday being the quiet I mean I have to say I love being in London on a Friday I love it <laughs> it is so nice absolutely. <laughs> you can wander around you can get the tube with absolutely no bother at all um you know we we just have to move with the times a little bit, don't we? And just recognise that that the way that people use the railway has changed. There's there's a point in there about really pleased to me again, a long time railway person of the diversity of users is increasing, mm. um, and I think that's where so leisure travel tend to be less frequent. But I th it feels like just hearing conversations on the train sometimes you we've opened up people to using something that they yeah. didn't think of before. So the customer base has actually got a little wider, which when you're using the railway regularly is quite nice because you're not just seeing the grey suit on a whatever day you happen to be coming into the office on the conventional um, commute. Um, but it's exactly your point. We've got to build upon that. Mm. If I go back to some of my strategy days, so the number of times when I was talking to almost any external stakeholder, a local authority, a developer, a, a, a local representative group of any shape or form, where they've been seeking some enhancement to the train service and I would have had to have gone, sorry, we're at capacity. Mm. Got to get back to the fact we might not be at quite at mm. the level of capacity now. So what it was that they wanted that additional train service for to support, find those opportunities, yeah. find other users at different times and, and make it back to the, the first ticketing retail, make their experience to buy easier uh, and much clearer and a much simpler, simpler fare structure mm. and all those component parts as well. I think we really have got an opportunity there. People still want to use the railway. They do. And actually, I think, you know, if we, if we look forward to a time where you and I aren't involved in rail anymore, you know, um, the next generation and the one after them probably use transport in a very different way to us. You know, 17, you passed your driving test, you wanted a car. Um, I would imagine that there are less 17 year olds doing that now. Uh, and actually, they want the integrated transport system that you have in London, for example, have card will travel, you want to get on a train, you want to get on a bus, you want to get on a bike, you want to get on a scooter, whatever it is you can do. And I, and I think a lot more young'uns, that's, that's what they're looking for, isn't it? And, you know, we, we need to make sure that the railway we're working on now suits their needs. 
I, I, and I've seen that. I, I, as you said, I have the, the, the pleasure and enjoyment of working in London. I have done for the majority of my career in and around. Um, but I've seen that over the years of people I work with in the office as, as newer people join, that tendency when they will say, I, I just, I don't want a car. Mm. The car, take up a car clubs is quite, quite yes. as, as the flexible element. Um, but then when you have, oh, you're off an integrated transport system, exactly said, it's, it, it shocked me, but that's a child of exactly what you said, 17, <laughs> get a car, that's just the norm. I live further away from London, which was always yeah. the norm of the commuting in too. So a lot more people in the office live, and I, and I know that, that things like house prices and that make it challenging, but they live closer. They definitely mm. live closer, even if they still have a, have a journey in. Mm. More flexibility of not coming into the office quite so regularly either. So it gives people a lot more flexibility in, the, in their home life and, and balancing yeah. things. But so many of them don't want to drive. They, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Which actually kind of brings me nicely full circle back to freight again, because... You know, that's that's where taking those lorries off the roads becomes even more important for those people that do still want to drive because it does mean that driving isn't great at the moment. I mean, I commuted for many years from Nottingham to Birmingham on the M42, which is, sorry if anybody listening to this drives a lorry on that road, but it's disastrous. You know, you've just got one lane of lorries sure. and then one will decide to overtake the other. <laughs> <laughs> at 55 miles an hour on a hill and you know you're a half an hour late for work as a consequence so I, sh I should I do the usual of I should we should defend lorry drivers as you, as you did though and, and it needs remembering that there is an integrated transport uh, element there as absolutely. well for, for, for rail because you need often that final mile or whatever it is yeah um absolutely but we we really do, I do firm believe I mean we're well supported by the by the department here as well very much on on the opportunity and the benefit of driving a, a, a network that works better for freight uh, users. Exactly what you said. It benefits road users. It benefits everybody environmentally. Mm. Um, such a massive shift if we. Mm. But the industry will have to do quite a lot to make it an easier buying decision yes. for our our freight customers um, because it, we we do make it. There's no doubt we make it challenging at the moment. And you'd like to think that actually the move towards kind of people looking at net zero and carbon neutral and carbon footprints and things like CBAM coming in and whatever we get for our own um, equivalent of CBAM in the future. Don't ask me to spell out that acronym because I always get it wrong. Um, across, no, no, I'm not even going to try. Um, but, but that environmental message that we have with RHEL both for people and for stuff has got to be something that we start shouting from the rooftops about much louder than we ever have done. Yes, yeah. Um, the, the, I know the freight market is having to take some views back to that, that road haulage. What is the decarbonised version of road haulage? That's a complex one when you're talking about heavy goods vehicles yeah. and a lot of the, the sort of bread and butter activity that rail is very good at, heavy haul, longer distances. Um, but it's it's if we can we can think the way that makes that decision to to go with almost it's the corporate objective quite often mm. that people are wanting exactly your point wanting to support yep. and so they're very easy customers if we can give them the right environment to make that decision but it's 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 well known that it is a tricky decision if the industry isn't reliable enough in its delivery and consistent enough it's probably the key yeah. point um point i remind people freight doesn't actually matter which route it's going unlike passengers it just has to get from the start from, to the finish a to b other mm. and if you disrupt that to the extent they can't make that journey and it drops back to road, that's a very easy decision to take mm. generally, uh, whereas mm. getting it back onto rail again because of the of the nature of it. So we really have to look after it and protect. Um, some of that will be about how we, again, with the network being, being passenger and freight and then how you do your work to 
which inevitably requires disruption when you're doing work on your assets. Uh, and it's, it's, we shouldn't forget it's a heavy asset reliant mm. industry. Um, mm. Getting that right to, to avoid disrupting both sides of it and to try and optimize that is never going to be easy. No. Um, but we've got to support that freight growth. So I'm going to move towards wrapping this up, I think. But before before I do, I want to put you on the spot a little bit with a question, which is uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that you and the rest of the team are looking looking at here. Um, and, it, you know, it is a difficult market. You are welcome in every room. Uh, it's, as I say, from an industry point of view, everybody's delighted when you guys show up and, um, you know, become the voice of reason. Um, what's going to be, over the next six months, what's going to be the thing that you really want to crack? The priority, sorry, to top priority, but it's it's an it's an underpinning part of all of it. It's back to the point about the fact we're trying to, we're, we're making the improvements and working with people is actually back to that collaboration word. So trying to stop people, it's the cultural element to it. So almost mm. reverting back to the safer zone, which is sometimes thinking in your in your environment and finding those things that we can unlock to enable what again I passionately believe people want to do, mm. but there is a, there is a, there is a, a courage needed sometimes. So we're almost certainly. Certainly over the next next year or so, as, as we go through the pre-legislative scrutiny, um, still do a lot of the preparatory work to get ready for GBR. It will be getting people, in a sense, to think a little GBR, mm-hmm. which is, sounds it sounds horribly corny, but the point is, think as if we are there. It sounds it, like a T-shirt. Um, it, it, may, it may well be. And I, <laughs> I will avoid getting a whole load printed. Um, but that that's the carrier vehicle for quite a lot of the things we can try and do in the meantime. So, so the collaboration is yeah, sometimes an overused word, but but it 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 links back to sophisticating and retail. We will be working with clearly the train operating companies. They have the they work with the passengers directly and communicate to them, sell tickets to them. Um, but that's where the TFGM type conversation comes yeah. in as well. There, if you can get some some traction in that that environment working together, it might be more tactical in one sense by definition because it's over the next shorter period of time but you're doing smaller scale Mm. opportunities but then you can start you've got your proof of opportunity and value and concept you're almost using it as a trial then for um for what you can achieve in the future so i think it it, it does sound it definitely sounds a little corny when you when you just (laughs) go back to collaboration but it will be the underpinning Mm. of quite a lot of what we can do in the short term Mm -hmm. and and it applies to the the supply chain world that, that we we talk about quite regularly um I've got to get people a little braver, particularly in the client side, to yes. work with. Because it's going to sound even more corny, but I do <laughs> believe there is, if you if you achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve, you can both get some value from it. So it's getting away from what is sometimes an adversarial environment, sometimes, um, albeit mostly I think it's a protective environment. And, and trust, I, I trust. think, yeah. If we, can, if we can build that, I said it is, it, it's latent in a lot of people, I think, mm. sometimes... Uh, people need need luring out from that confidence silo that they're in. To, to um, yeah, I, I think that's the priority. So we could, we could talk about the different component parts. I mean, yeah. we talked about growing the market. Um, so some of that is actually understanding. So it still relies on that collaboration to get the product change the offer to the customers, and then we will grow the market, make some yeah. braver decisions, work out how we work with the freight organisations and grow that market as well. So we've got to have that underpinning growth and get the railway in a strong position mm-hmm. again. Um, but there is so much value there for collectively for the for the taking out of it. And and it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, 
I, I do this myself, but you know, on social media, we bandy around the hashtag railway family because we, you know, we, we definitely are. But as you say, you then get to kind of the corporate commercial relationships and that family element kind of falls away. So from a people point of view, we all want to do whatever we, we can do for the best of, of our fellow workers in the railway. But but it's about breaking down those barriers, isn't it? It's about encouraging that innovation, but perhaps from a supply chain member, not thinking, well, I'm going to innovate and somebody's going to take this and give it to somebody else or, or you know, it's it's going to get lost and I'm not going to get anything for it. It's so so it's yeah there's it feels like it's you know a moment in a field that's needed somewhere with uh, getting you know trust exercises <laughs> <It's>, uh... <laughs> i have one particular thing which which i think is a, is linked to it and drive towards it's the innovation point i think that's something we've really got to got to work because i, I believe the ideas are there the understanding is there we've lost the 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 the, the, the thinking around it Absolutely. I was at the launch the other day of the Rail 200 yes. um, event. Yes. That is a celebration of, this is the Stockton to Darlington mm-hmm. celebration 200 years ago, uh, first passenger carrying railway in the world. That's a point to celebrate innovation because that's when the UK was was inventing something new. Really want to drive towards that off the theme of innovation and get us back into a strong, um, we will do it here first and we mm-hmm. take it around the rest of the world rather than risk it the other way around sometimes. Oh, this feels like a perfect place to start. Other than say, I, I once listened to something on the radio which was talking about the introduction of railways, and and it always, it always strikes me every time we ever talk about doing new things in the railway, and it was that there was a newspaper article that was put out when a, a stretch of railway was being put somewhere, and they said that um, it would scare the cows so they didn't produce milk. Um, women in particular should not be allowed to travel that fast because it would make them hysterical. And um, if you went through a tunnel, you'd go blind. So, um, so I'm glad that we've moved on from all of that. Um, and it just makes me think about it when we talk about Rail 200. But yeah, I think that that's going to be a, an ideal celebration in a couple of years' time and really demonstrate what we as a sector can do. And if we start thinking customer, which is, again, it's corny, but it is true because the industry is very good at thinking it moves trains rather than thinking it enables yes. people and goods to move around. We get that right at the heart of it, innovate towards that. Fabulous. Paul, thank you ever so much for giving up your time today. Thank you, Michelle.